0: I want all of us to start today, as we turn to the book of Galatians, doing the theme verse that I think needs to come from this book. Uh, It is Galatians 2.20. Remember that the problem that uh, Paul had run into is that some Judaizers had gotten loose in Galatia. The Judaizers were people that wanted to force Gentiles to do things Jewish. Uh, to become proselyzed Jews before they could have Jesus. And Paul was fighting against that uh, in this time period. And so in the midst of his explanation in the first two chapters, he reminds us all that something changed for us when we came into contact with Jesus Christ through faith. So, everyone together, let's say our memory verse. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's where we're connected. We are connected to God the Father through Jesus the Son, specifically through his death and his resurrection. There is nothing in that relationship that speaks about law. Last week, we did chapter number three. And at the climax of chapter number three, we came across this reminder. And I'm going to read this one to you uh, and uh, comment on as I do it. Now, before faith came, that is, before the faith in Jesus Christ came into our lives, We were held captive under the law. Now, this is Paul writing, so he's specifically thinking about the Jewish people. Imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So he says, for the Jewish people, they were trapped in the law, waiting for the faith to show up. And then he explains it this way. So then, the law was our guardian. And I told you last week that word in Greek is pedagogos, and it is a reference to a slave in a fairly well-to-do household that was charged with taking the kids of the household from the household to the teacher. And this slave was charged by the father and mother of the house, you make sure our kids are dressed properly, that they have all their schoolwork with them, make sure they behave themselves along the way, make sure that they get to the teacher intact, and you have our permission to spank them on the way if they misbehave. That was the job of the pedagogos. And so Paul says, so then, the law was our pedagogos until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. So the goal wasn't, to be fixed up by the pedagogos. It was to be fixed up by the teacher, who is Jesus. But now that faith has come, now that we've embraced the one who loved us and died for us, we are no longer under the pedagogos. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith for as many as you who were immersed into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. So we lost all of these defining, separating things that happen in society once we come into Christ. We were all saved the same way. Some of us weren't saved by faith grace, and some of us saved by law, and some of us saved by paying for it. We were all saved by coming to Jesus and being crucified with him. And so because of that, he finished it up in this fashion. He says, if you are Christ's, if you belong to him, if you've been crucified with him and resurrected with him, then you are Abraham's offspring Heirs according to promise. So that is what brings us all into the faith of Abraham. That's what makes us all part of the promise made to Abraham that in your seed, Abraham, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. It's all about Jesus. And with that thought in mind, let's continue in chapter number four. Chapter number four of Galatians starts out in this fashion. Now, I say as long as the heir is a child, we would say a minor, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he's the owner of everything. So we go back to his time period, back to Paul's time period when he's writing this. In a well-to-do household, the minor child gets bossed around just like the slaves in the household, just like the servants in the household. They don't have all the rights and privileges of an adult because they're a minor. Even though they will eventually be the heir. Verse 2 But he's under guardians, not the same word, and managers until the date set by the father. In other words, he has to do whatever his father's servants are telling him, Dad wants you to do your chores. Brush your teeth, clean your room, run down to the market, pick some things up, bring them back, dig a ditch, whatever it is that the father communicates through his servants, the child has to do. How many of you have had teenagers, or maybe you were a teenager once that said, what do you think I am, a slave? Yeah, you are. You're equivalent to a slave at this point. You have to do whatever mom and dad tell you to do. Back to the text. Verse 3, so also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. Now this is where he is talking specifically to the Jewish people because what he's referencing here is the law. The elemental things that the word references here is the ABCs and the one two threes, the basics, which for the Jewish people was the law. The Ten Commandments and all the 500 and some odd explaining commandments that went with them. And so Paul says, when we were still minors, spiritually speaking, Jews, we were slaves to the basic principles of law. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman born under the law. And that's the story of Jesus. Uh, Jesus was the fulfillment of the very first promise in the book of Genesis. It's actually a threat. It was given by God to the serpent, saying, the seed of woman will crush your head just as you strike at his heel. It was a prophecy about the atoning death of Jesus. That was the promise that through a woman, Mary, Jesus would arrive on the scene. And he arrived as a Jewish man, a Jewish baby. He would grow up as a Jewish young man, learning the law and being under the law. But his whole purpose was to fix what the law was trying to keep in check at that point. And that was the sin problem says, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So again, he's writing this part to Jewish people. He's saying, you have to understand, we were trapped, enslaved to the law until Jesus came, died, and rose again and only by his atoning death and his glorious resurrection were we able to receive the adoption as God's kids. Now you might go, wait a second, I thought the Jewish people were the children of God. Yes, but the father has to declare paternity. Every Jewish person knew that God had to accept them, or they would be lost. Paterni was announced uh, by the father telling a public meeting, this is my son, this is my daughter. How many of you remember a little story about Jesus being immersed, and a voice comes out of the sky and says, this is my who? Son. Son, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Happened on the Mount of Transfiguration as well, when the apostles were a little distracted by Moses and Elijah being there, and the voice comes out This is my son, in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Book of Hebrews talks about the fact that in the book of Psalms it says, God says prophetically, You are my son. Today you I have begotten you. That's a declaration of paternity. Paul says here, until Jesus came on the scene and died in our place, the declaration of paternity had not been made yet for us. But the moment we embraced him by faith, God said, you are my children and I am your father. And it's because of that that verse 6 is true. Because your sons, God has sent forth the Holy Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Abba is the Hebrew Aramaic word for dad. So Paul wants the Jewish people hearing all this, reading all this, to understand you needed salvation through Jesus Christ dying and rising again. You could not be declared a child of God until you embraced the faith. The law could not do that for you. The law could only get you from Mount Sinai to Mount Calvary. And then it was done. Verse number eight, he now swaps over and talks to the Gentiles. Us, since the vast majority of us are Gentiles. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who, which by nature were no gods. So he says, a whole bunch of you used to be pagans. You used to worship Zeus and Apollo and Aphrodite and all those other gods and goddesses, even though they're just wannabes. They're fakes, they're frauds, they're demonic beings uh, trying to pull the wool over your eyes. But that's who you were putting your faith in. But now, verse 9, you have come to know God, or rather I should say, to be known by God. It is a different perspective that you might know somebody famous, right? But does that person know you? That's what he's getting to. He's saying, not only do you know God, like as in know about him, he actually knows you by name. So how is it that you now turn back to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? Now he's getting after the Gentiles. He's saying, what is your major malfunction here? Why is it that you came out of paganism and now all of a sudden you think you want to be saved by Judaism? The ABCs and one 123s of the Mosaic Law, are done. Jesus finished all that. He says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I've labored over you in vain. He says, have I wasted my time? Did I waste my breath coming there to Galatia and explaining these things to you? Because now you're just acting like a bunch of traditional Jewish people. You're keeping the Sabbath. You're getting circumcised if you're a male. You keep kosher diets You do all these things because the Judaizers told you that's how you're saved. Did I waste my time with you? Verse 12. I beg you, brethren, become as I am, as for I also have become as you are. Now that's interesting. In that one line, Paul basically said this: I ditched the Judaism. I ditched the Phariseeism. I gave up on all that stuff once I figured out that it was salvation by Jesus Christ that matters, not whether or not I'm Jewish and keep kosher. I ditched all that. Please, come back. Be like me. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, as he writes in other letters. Then he says, you've done me no wrong. Now, Keep in mind, he is the person who started some of these congregations that he's writing to with this letter. He is the one that was there helping people come to faith. And so he has a personal investment in them. He feels like he's their dad, spiritually. He says, now, you've done me no wrong. Don't get me the impression that somehow you've grieved me beyond remedy. But you know for a fact that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel or a messenger of God, even as Christ Jesus himself. So he, he goes back and remembers just a few years earlier when he first came to the Glacier region on his first missionary journey. Somehow he got sick. Now some of you are like, wait a second, he's an apostle. How did he get sick? I don't know. How come he didn't just go, be healed? I don't know. But apparently it was not available as a possibility. So he was sick and down and stuck in a house, apparently, in Galatia, and people were caring for him. People were helping him out. Worrying about his health. These Galatians. And what was he doing back? He was telling them about Jesus. And eventually when he got better, he told them everything about Jesus and many of them embraced Jesus as their Savior and Lord. They were immersed into the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and they became part of that beginning church there. And he was excited about that opportunity. So here's him remembering that. He says, You know, I remember when I first met a lot of you guys, it was not in the best circumstances for me. In fact, you guys were having to help me out an awful lot. Verse number 15. Where then is that sense of blessing that you used to have? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Now that's the reason why some commentators through the years have believed that whatever Paul was suffering from, it was something related to his eyes. Maybe he had a really bad case of conjunctivitis, right? I went like three days with conjunctivitis when I was a kid, having to have my eyes peeled open every day and had boric acid put in there. It was nasty. It was horrible. Maybe he had something like that. I don't know. But Paul says, I remember that some of you, you would have fixed me up if you could have just ripped your own eyes out and given them to me. That's how much you loved me and cared about me. Where would that go? That's his question. Where'd that relationship go? Have I therefore become your enemy by telling you the truth? Now what's the truth? That Jesus Christ died for your sins according to the scripture, that he was raised after he's been buried according to the scripture, bodily he was raised, he ascended on high, he was seen by alive by witnesses, the gospel's preached in his name, and the only way you're saved is by believing that he died for you by being crucified with him and living with him. That's how you're saved. Paul says, am I now becoming your enemy because I say the Judaizers are full of baloney. They, talking about the Judaizers, eagerly seek you. Not commendably, but they wish to shut you out in order that you may seek them. He says, basically, you know what they're up to? They want to grab you and force you into the mold of their Judaism away from the freedom that's in Jesus Christ so that they can brag that you did what they wanted. That's what they want. They make a big deal about you being their followers, their students, their disciples, because it makes them feel better. It is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner. And so he acknowledges this. All of us understand this, right? It is nice to have people kind of fawn over us, do some nice things to us. Although, I will say this, if they do too much of it, I start going, what do you want? Right? Because by then I'm starting to think, this is not genuine. This is like a con thing that's going on here. And that's what Paul is trying to help them understand. You guys are being conned, It is a nice thing to be appreciated by people around you and people wanting to to talk to you about things that are important. But you know what? He says, it's important that I talk to you about those things now to make a big deal out of my relationship with you. Uh, And not only when I'm present with you. So he says, not just when I was there like a couple of years back and a couple of months ago for my second visit when I found out you guys had been compromised like this, he says, not just in that role, but even when I'm hundreds of miles away, I'm thinking about you. You guys know this, because all of you have been reading Paul's letters over and over again. Paul almost always starts his letters by saying, I thank God upon my every remembrance of you, right? So he says, I don't think about you only when I'm in your presence. I think about you when I'm far away my children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. But I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. So Paul says, here I am, several hundred miles away, dictating this letter out. I wished I could be there with you, so that I could maybe see your face, and modulate the way that I speak to you. But I'm not there, I'm here, and I am frustrated. I don't get it. Why have you abandoned the straight up faith in Jesus Christ that saves us, and swapped over to Judaism? Why have you given in? to what these Judaizers want when they're just trying to con you for their own purposes. Then he says this, verse 21, tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you listen to the law? He gets a little pedantic here. He gets a little bit a teachy, right? All of us have done this with our kids, right? He says, okay, Mr. Smarty Pants, let's go through the things that you've been claiming uh, as an excuse for what you've been behaving about. In his case, he says, "Okay, you say that you believe in the law. Let's have a little law lesson." Verse twenty-two: "It is written in the law, Book of Genesis is part of the law, that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman, and one by the free woman." Those of you that don't know this story, you could have been coming on Wednesday nights. We've been doing this, right? We talked about this story several months back. It's the story of where Abraham and Sarah had been told that they were going to have a child, but they weren't having any children. And eventually, Sarah gets the idea in her head, you know what, maybe God needs some help. Let's invoke a Mesopotamian law of surrogacy I'm going to give you my servant, who's paying off some sort of indebtedness, apparently. I'm going to give you her as a sub-wife. You can sleep with her once or twice or whatever it takes. She'll get pregnant, and the baby will be my baby. Let's do it that way. Now, strangely enough, Abraham didn't go and check in with God. I wish he had For him, he goes, okay, yeah, that is a legal remedy. Let's do it. Hagar got pregnant. Hagar had a baby named Ishmael. And they started raising that baby as their own, between Sarah and Abraham. But God told them, that's not the baby I was talking about. And eventually, about 13 or so years later, God says, now, let's talk about the real baby that I was talking about. Sarah, you're going to get pregnant. And she did, even though she was postmenopausal. Shouldn't to have a baby. She was like 90 years old. She got pregnant with Isaac, whose name means, <laughs> it's that chuckle sort of thing when you don't believe something. Because that's exactly what she did when God told her she was going to get pregnant. That baby, Isaac, was the son of the promise, the son of the free woman. And so that's what he's talking about here. He says, verse 23 the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, happened by perfectly normal means. The son by the free woman. Was through the promise. Came by miracle because of God's intervention. Verse 24. This is allegorically speaking for these women are two covenants, two totally different covenants. One proceeding from Mount Sinai, which is where God gave the law from. One proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are slaves, and she is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Now, all of that matches exactly what he's been saying. The Jewish law is by flesh, not faith. The Jewish law was given in Mount Sinai, and it was basically telling the Jewish people, knock it off, stop it, behave. Move along. Get ready for the true faith. It was basically intended to keep them from imploding until the Messiah came on the scene. And so that's why he writes it's all about slavery, just like Hagar was a slave. And it's all about the flesh, just like Ishmael was born of the flesh. But it's not about salvation and even at Jerusalem at the temple mount the things that they were doing there they were doing according to the law and none of it was sufficient for salvation it was all intended to point to the messiah and once the messiah came that's who you needed to embrace he says the Jerusalem that is above is free She's our mother. It is written, Rejoice, barren woman. Remember that Sarah was barren. Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For more are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. So he borrows this thing from the Old Testament to say, Look, the prophecies are there that the bigger deal was going to be made out of the faith child the child of the promise. In your seed, Abraham, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. That seed line was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, eventually down to David, and then eventually down to Jesus. That's the line of faith. You, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise, But as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh, that'd be Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, that would be little baby Isaac. That's another story in the book of Genesis. It occurred in this fashion. It's another one of the ones you've got to go, hmm, about. After Sarah had the promised child... And the promised child was no longer a baby, but was a toddler, even into preschool age. He was getting ready for his third birthday, apparently. Uh, Sarah observed big brother Ishmael making fun of little brother Isaac. And Sarah went to Abraham and said, that boy is not going to be an heir with my boy. Now, you already heard me say that she raised Ishmael as her own son up until the day she got pregnant, right? But now that she's got her own physical body-born son, she's kind of forgotten that part of the story. And she says, I want him and her mother, or his mother, out of the house. Abraham checked in with God that time. And God said, go ahead, send them on the way, provide for them, do all that necessary stuff. But no, Ishmael is not going to be the heir. As I told you all along, it will be the child of promise that will be the heir. It's in your seed, Isaac, that all the nations will be blessed, because eventually that will bring about Jesus. But Paul grabs up that story and says, you know what? Just like the child of flesh was given a hard time to the child of the faith back at that time, that's what's happened to you guys in Galatia. The Judaizers are coming along and hassling you, telling you you cannot be the heir unless you're like them. Well, they got the shoe on the wrong foot. They're not the heir. They never were the heir. The heir is Jesus, the child of the promise. And only by putting your faith in him can you be saved. You are not saved by flesh. You are saved by faith. What does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman or her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren... We are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free woman. That's the, that's the big money quote, I guess, in this section right here. He says, I'm telling you, Galatians, you have got to identify with Jesus, not the Judaizers. You have to be crucified with Christ and live only his life. Don't get yourself circumcised. Don't get yourself kosherized. Don't get yourself Sabbatized, as in Sabbath-keeping. Don't do any of these things the Judaizers tell you to do, because that's not the way to salvation. Last verse for today. Kickoff verse for next week. Chapter 5. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever been hit up by Judaizers. We have a couple of big Judaizer denominations that exist even to this day in this country, and I know that they do a lot of heavy-duty work Um, I know I've gotten plenty of stuff from a relative of mine who is a Judaizer, basically saying, if you do not keep the Jewish law, if you don't keep the Jewish Sabbath, if you don't keep kosher, if you don't follow things the way we tell you to follow, you are lost. And I'm telling you folks, those are the folks that got the problem. Because this text makes it clear Jesus Christ set us free from the bondage of the law. Because the law could never save us anyway. The law could only point the direction to Jesus. So if you have ever been even a tiny bit tempted to fall back into this idea of keeping the Sabbath and keeping kosher and keeping the high holy days and all of that stuff, don't do it. Stay with Jesus. See if you can say the memory verse with me again for today. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The, bo- the, the life I live in this flesh, in this body, I live for the one, the Son of God, who loved me, and gave himself up for me. That's the means of salvation. We are saved by faith, not by flesh. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the very clear teaching that you caused to be written down here. Father, we pray that each of us will live this life for Christ in this flesh according to the faith that we won't fall back into rule keeping as a means of salvation, but instead we will walk by the spirit and live for Jesus. Father, we do pray for our Judaizer friends and family members, those that have been sucked back in to the very thing out of which Jesus freed them. Help their eyes to be opened. Help them to see these passages clearly the way they're intended. And let them be free in faith. And if we can help in that, Lord, teach us how to do it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.